so much, Matt. Thank you so much. I've known Matt. God, how old were you when I met you, Matt? 13 years old. Now he's, what, 25? So Casey said, hey, you got to be real. So I'm going to be real. This might be the shortest sermon online because I have to go to the bathroom and yours are broken. How's that for honesty? Well, church, I'm honored to be back. I, I, I never lose the privilege of walking up here. I never do. And I always tell the Holy Spirit, I'm not going up there without you because it, it, it's horrible. It's horrible to be up here without kind of being bathed and prayed into the Holy Spirit. But God allowing me to come up here is a testimony to his grace and his sense of humor. So let's pray and get started. Father, we love you. Oh, God, we worship and praise you. And we do. We want to tell the world about you. Why would we not? Why would we not share it with our, our aunts and our uncles that are aging and may be with you soon? Why would we not share it with the young people that you love and adore? Why would we not tell everybody about Christ? Father, open doors and opportunities for us to share you, to love you, to worship you, to praise you. And Lord, as always, it's, it's nothing that I have to say. Not, none of that matters, God. It's what you have to say. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak. I pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us and he will come this morning, Lord. We ask that all in Christ's name. Amen. So how well do you do, let me just jump right into this. How well do you do relationships? If I were to sit down with your family, your friends, your coworkers, and I would just say, hey, Lou, hey, how well does he do relationships? What would they say? In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. Romans 12, 9, don't just pretend to love others, you know, for the show. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. There, there must have been a lot of fakers in his world because he's like, man, don't, don't just pretend. It's almost like he's saying, stop doing that. Just really love the people around you. Honor people with your, with your actions, lift them up, feed them, love them, and just kind of exude this warmth. When you, when you walk into a room and somebody walks up to you, they should kind of feel the love vibrating. I, re I remember going into, I lived in California for years, and I remember going into this uh, um, Apple store with my phone, and I walked up to this lady, and she was kind of crystals all over her little desk there. And I said something to her, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, you, you have this beautiful aura. And, and I thought, well, great, you're kind of sensing, I'm hoping you're sensing the Holy Spirit. What's great is she fixed my phone for free because she wound up just liking my aura. I wonder how good you are at loving others. And let me put it another way. Are you good at leveraging? How are you at leveraging all that God has given you to care for others? How good are you at taking all that God is giving you and just pouring it on people around you? Are you kind? Are you generous? Maybe you don't have a lot, but what you do have, you share with others. And, and, that, and that makes people just glad when you, when you enter into a room. I wonder what people say when you leave the room. Do they say positive things? If I were to sit with those people and they were to describe you in one word, would it be encourager, loving, fun, just positive. I'm sure that there were some of us, and sometimes for all of us, when they would say kind of stingy, a little bitter, maybe angrier, just plain mean. How about your home? How good are you at leveraging all that God has given you in your home? 
Is there a sense of peace, a sense of comfort to those around you? We recently had a, a family come in from Poland and stay, with, stay at our house. They had three kids. They were here to bring awareness to their ministry and do some fundraising. And we had them over to our property for a day of swimming, riding four-wheelers, eating, shooting skeet. Their 17-year-old daughter paid me the very, paid all of our family the very highest compliment she, she could. She said, you know, the moment I walked into your house, I felt like I belonged. I've never met this girl before, knew her mom and dad for years. She said, I feel like I've been here many times before. That made my day. As soon as the family got there, we told the kids, we told their kids, what, and they had three of them, what we have told our friends' kids all of their lives. I said, hey, come here. Let me tell you something about the food or anything you see in this house. And they got this look on their face. It's like, oh, here it comes. And I said, here's our one rule. If you see something in the refrigerator, on the table, or in the cupboard, don't ask if you can have it. You can. I said, in fact, if you ask me if you can have something in my house, then the answer is no. That's always been our rule. When you walk into my house, if you see food, eat it. I'm going to tell you right now, that's always been my rule in anybody's house anyway, as you can tell. It's always been our desire to create an environment, this kind of sense of peace to anyone that walked in, through the way we treated them, the way we fed them. My wife, my wife will make sure. If you come over to my house at 11 p.m., my wife will make you chocolate chip cookies. And fill the house with that smell. My daughter's an incredible cook. If you leave our house hungry, then, then you weren't there. We, I, I really, I want, we want, I, even the way I decorate, I want to create these environments where people, when they walk in, they just kind of like, oh, man. Now, I want to pause here for a second. I'm going to share all of these wonderful things about me and my family, but I want to give you a just one example of how big of a real jerk I can be. And by the way, there are family and friends throughout the audience who could share many, many, many more. But I want to give you just one. I, I do this thing on the highway that I call, my name is Rick. I do this thing on the highway that I call Ricky. I Ricky people. And now my family will call me up and go, Dad, I just had to Ricky somebody. What does Ricky mean? If I'm behind you and you are in the fast lane and you are going the speed limit or below the speed limit you are probably going to get rickied by me. This will prove to you what a jerk I am, and all the slow people right after this can hate me. If you're going that slow, I will get in front of you, and I will slow down to 35 miles an hour until you get out of that lane. I told you the slow people can hate me. For more examples, if you talk to Wally Floor, he can give you a bunch of examples of me being a jerk, can't you, Wally? They're out there. I mean, I, I, Paul said to exude love, and I, I understand. Paul said to really love people, and I understand that that's, that can be difficult, and I understand that we all step out of that mode, but the goal is to shoot for that. The goal is to every day, every year, getting a little better at all that. The goal is to leverage all that we have to make our, our house and our lives a place of comfort and peace, to earn the right. Because we're, we're all, well, kind of like Matt said, we're all about earning the right to share a loving God with a really hurting world. Years ago, I did a message called Popsicles and Pringles. We lived in the, the greater LA area, and we had these two boys that would come down. They lived kind of like a little cul-de-sac. We could see their house from our house, and they would come to our house all the time. And one of the boys loved popsicles, and one of the boys loved Pringles. 
So we made sure that our house was stocked with popsicles and Pringles. And these boys would just, I would be sitting on the couch watching something. I would watch one of their little heads just go behind the couch. Because they would just walk right in. They would walk right in, head to the refrigerator. Our home became their second home. And I had a goal and a desire to lead their parents to Christ because I knew they didn't know Jesus. Well, one day we invited them to come over for dinner, and the, the, the kids were practically living in our house, so they readily agreed. And I knew that dad was a sports nut. And to be honest, if it's outside of golf, I don't know very much about sports at all. So I made sure the TV was, you know, had a football game on it just in case we had nothing to talk about. But we wound up talking and laughing for hours. It led to some great, great friendships. Eventually, we were able to lead the entire family to Christ, and I had the privilege of baptizing them. The, the dad's name was Joe Mondahano. Spell that. He became my partner in starting a ministry to kids affected by drugs in the greater L.A. area. And to this day, Joe still meets with a bunch of those kids who are now in college, meets with girlfriends, boyfriends, and is continuing to lead people to Christ. And that, that all came just from just stocking our house with things that other kids, other people loved. Our goal and your goal should be to leverage your house, your food, your people in it to bring honor and glory to Christ. To make it a place where Christ can be found to all who enter in. So that's the question. How well, how well do you do relationships? How are you at leveraging all that God has given you for others? See, it's very disheartening and it's concerning that the world seems to be moving to this colder, bitter, darker place. If you're on one side of either fence, Facebook knows that. Instagram knows that. And they will feed you videos that feed into really our hatred and our separation. It seems like the world has become a colder, darker, more divided place. And dare I say, a hate-filled place. We're at a point where if you and I dare to disagree with someone, then we're in danger of being canceled. You guys just did a whole series about that. Disagreeing with someone, you get labeled as a hater or a racist. And now which I find ridiculous, maybe it's because I'm older, but words are considered to be actual violence. But you know what? That's not the way we're supposed to be. We seem to be heading towards becoming a much more separated people. And unfortunately, that's also true of the church around us. But if you've been at church and the church world for any amount of time, then you are familiar with Christ's words in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, we find Christ engaged in one of the many debates with the religious leaders of the day. They were always trying to capture him, trying to get him to say something that they could point to him and say, see, that dude's not from God. That dude's not righteous. That dude's not right. They were always, the self-righteous people hated him because he was always always hanging with notorious sinners. He was always with a rougher crowd. His desire was to point them towards the upcoming cross. Mark chapter 12 Verse 28, one of the religious leaders of the law was standing there listening to the debate. The, the, the Pharisees or Sadducees are debating back and forth with Jesus. And this guy is one of, the, one of the religious guys, but he's listening to Jesus. And it says he realized that Jesus had answered so well. So he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? I love it. This guy's there to trip up Jesus, but he starts listening to Jesus. He's like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. And after hearing him talk, I really want to know the answer to this particular question. Jesus, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second, I love this, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Did you catch that? A lot of us are really good at loving God. We really are. We worship God. We praise God. Maybe we listen to some songs and they even lead us to tears and we will praise God. But the way, sometimes the way we walk out and treat other people doesn't match that. And God is saying, man, I, I really want you to love everybody around you the way you love me. I have a particular person in my life that I work with really, really difficult. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I've been praying that God would remove that person. But then I called a buddy of mine in California and I said, hey, man, would you pray for me? And he said, I'm going to pray that God gives us supernatural love for that person. And it's totally revolutionized the way I pray. I'm not praying for his removal anymore. That's my granddaughter, by the way, climbing up on the chairs. I'm not praying for his removal anymore. I'm praying that God will give me this incredible love for him, that, that he and I will become a part of each other's life because that really is the essence of the gospel. And we miss that. Somehow, somehow the most God, people that love God the most miss that. I mean, did you catch it? Do you live that? Do you exude that? You cannot not love God and be obedient to him. I can't be obedient to God unless I'm desperately in love with him. And you cannot not love other peoples and still be obedient to God. The way I treat everybody around me, the world around me, that really shows you how much I love God. It almost seems wrong to say, but Jesus is saying, man, you got to love people the way you love me. That's huge. That's real. Our whole existence should be about to leverage all that we have for the benefit of the world around us. If your world is all about you, then your world is just way too small. And, and I find myself getting into that. I find myself getting into the, you know, praying for me and praying for what I want and not understanding why I don't get this and why I don't get more of that. And it becomes so small and so dark. But when I start praying for other people and caring about other people, and when I lay awake at night, instead of worried about my concerns, but for praying for people in the world around me, my world gets much bigger. One of Christ's best friends and personal disciples while on earth, John put it this way, if someone says, I love God, but hates fellow believer, that person is a liar. I, I, I don't know if maybe you hate somebody. Maybe it's another guy at the church. Maybe it's a, some girl at the church. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody in your job. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an ex-spouse. But hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar for if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. That's strong language. Uh, that is, that's, that's strong. If, the, if, if there's some other Christian you hate, maybe they've offended you or did something wrong to you and you hate them, you know why you can't hate them? But you can't say that you love God because the Bible would call you a liar. It's, it's such a simple concept. But it seems like the the one that many people miss, justify, and somehow think God doesn't care. I remember a church that I love on in the other side of Indiana. I remember a guy telling me, and I really, I like this guy. I go hunting with this guy. And I remember him telling me, I'm not coming to church this morning. And I said, why? Well, because there's a guy that was on Facebook Marketplace that promised me he would sell me his dirt bike, but then he sold that dirt bike to somebody else, and he's going to be in church this morning, and I hate that guy. 
Do you know how stupid that sounds? I mean, I, I mean, of course, I absolutely blasted him right out of his chair for saying that. Garbage. I, I don't know who's offended you, but I'm going to tell you the, the way to begin to leverage all that God has had you, the way to begin to open the doors of God's blessing is to get over that and to forgive. If you or I want to leverage all that we have for God, then we better be leveraging a whole lot of love and forgiveness. Everything. Everything in the Bible is about reconciliation. It's about God being reconciled to men and women. He, he gave his one and only son to pay for the sins of the world because he didn't want to be in eternity without you. Imagine that. God doesn't want to spend forever without you being there with him. The Bible is all about you and I forgiving one another and being brought into fellowship with one another. And we could camp on this forever. But we got to move on. One guy in the crowd got it. Luke 12, verse 32. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher. I love it. He just looks at Jesus and goes, you know what? You've, you've got something there. Well said, you have spoken the truth by saying there's only one God and no other. I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength to love my neighbor as myself. That's more important than to offer burnt sacrifices and sacrifices required to the law. You know, when I read that, I wondered, I found myself wondering, how, how, did, he, how did he know that? No, nobody else got it in the crowd, just this guy. But what had happened in his relationships with God or to the world around him that just let him know that? What, what in his life, how had he treated or been treated in relationship with the guys at work, school, neighborhood, in his home? Maybe the way he treated his or her divorce, divorced spouse? What led him to reflect and to fully understand that that's how he was to treat other people? I don't know how he knew it, but he got the greatest response from Jesus in history. Verse 34, realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one else dared to ask him any more questions. I wish I'd have been that guy at the moment. Wouldn't you love it if Jesus just called you out in a big crowd? That guy? Dude, Casey, man, he gets it. Jesus just calls this dude out and says, dude, you get it. How well do you do relationships? Are you leveraging? How are you leveraging all that you have to care for others? How about the money you have? Are you supporting this church financially or in its efforts to reach the world around you? Is there some missionary that gets a regular or even irregular check from you? Is there some family in the church that gets $100 or somebody that you know in your neighborhood that you think you kind of slip them a $100, maybe Kroger's gift certificate or somehow you're helping them? I'll tell you what, when I was a kid, we were poor. How poor were we? Well, let me tell you, this is the honest truth. I lived in Bellevue, Kentucky, right on the riverbank, and the way we had Thanksgiving and the way we had Easter is some church dropped a basket on our porch. That's how we had turkey. Some church put a basket on our church. I remember one year, man, Thanksgiving was coming up, or Easter was coming up, and that ham hadn't showed up. We were like two days away, and we're like, hello. It showed up, though, just in time. Are you that savior? Are you that salvation? Are you that guy that's given that food when it's needed? Do you know a family, man, Thanksgiving come up, you could just drop off a big, fat basket. 
I still, I was a little kid and I still remember that. How about at your home? Do you have guests over regularly? Those who just need encouragement or fellowship? Or perhaps those who don't know Jesus but may very well find him in your house. How about your attitude? How about your attitude? Do you leverage your words to build others up? Every single person that comes in the world that, that meets you, they're going to walk away being encouraged. If you were standing in front of Jesus, would he just have to stop everything, point to you and say, dude, you get it. You, you are right on. The way you treat people, the way you care for those around you, the way that you, you meet the needs. You are not far from the kingdom of God. In fact, you are creating a heaven on earth for those around you. What if God just said, man, you knew how to do, you just know how to do community. How about your authority? Do your kids feel loved and supported by you? Is your house a, a, a place where words are like, great job, I'm so proud of you. Man, I just love being around you. Are phrases like that often said? My grandson, Diesel, sitting over here. He's five years old, just turned five. And he's a golfer. He's in a little PGA tournament. He plays really well, drives the ball straight as heck. You know, incredible little golfer. So his, his dad and I, you know, his dad will let me go with him, and we go golfing on a lot of Wednesdays. And we had played in, in this, I was at this particular course where the, uh, not the caddy, but the, one of the guys of the cart tender said, hey, man, sir, let me drive you out to your car. So I jumped in my car, and I drove by Diesel. And as I was driving by him and his daddy, I said, hey, Diesel, great job today, buddy. I'm so proud of you. You did so well. And the young guy driving the car at about 18 years old goes, man, you know how to treat your family. And I turned to him and said, you know, it's because I know Jesus Christ, and I got to share Christ with that guy. He just, just bringing him into my world and the way I treated the family around me. What about work? If you have authority, do people feel supported, encouraged, or are they glad you're around? I want to challenge you today to start creating community. Community with believers, community with those outside of your world or inside the church, community with your neighbors. I want to encourage you to begin to leverage Leverage all that you have for the world around you. And by now you might be saying, Rick, we get it. But is it possible that you are overestimating the value of this community? It's not. In fact, in the end, and this, this, this blew my mind when I realized this. In the end, when it's all said and done, God will judge the world and you and me on how well we did community. That, that sounds crazy. Let me back that up. Let me prove that. Let me say it again. In the end, when it's all said and done, God will judge the world, you and me, on how well we did community. Matthew chapter 25, this is Jesus' final sermon and final, final parable in the, in the book of Matthew. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, this is the second coming. When I come back, I'm gonna, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. So, so picture this. There are two camps here. All of us are standing before God. He's coming. He's sitting on his throne. It's a final judgment, and he's going to divide all of humanity into one of two camps. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, 
the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Now, this word blessed is interesting. It literally means that God intervenes into a person's life to bring them joy and to meet their needs. It's a divine intervention. It's taking a circumstance that was going in one direction and utterly and completely changing that direction. It's the miraculous answer to prayer. It's when you really screw up in life, but somehow it turns out okay. I have this way of stepping in doo-doo and coming out smelling like roses, and it is completely the Holy Spirit. Am I right or am I wrong? I have a way. People will say to me, I don't know how you got away with that. And I'm always like, I don't either. Jesus just Jesus. Being blessed is God reaching his hand down into your life. This is the literal meaning of this. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, reaching his hand down into your life, whether you see it or not, and changing the outcome from good to bad. And he really does that. But he pretty much does it just for the sheep, although occasionally a goat will get this too. There are rewards and treasures stored up in heaven for those who do it right. It, it, it's, it's getting that check when you didn't expect that check. I, I can't even explain it. it it's, 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 I remember one time, and I think I shared this once before, but I remember one time uh, we had this ministry to like 70 kids on the street, and I remember one time praying for bacon, and it, because I make the spaghetti sauce, it's amazing. I chop up like pounds of bacon and the garlic and onions, and I remember praying I, God, I need bacon. I want to make this. And the next day, some guy calls me and says, hey, man, I got a, little fo- a lot of food donated to me, and I know you feed people. And I said, what is it? And he says, it's 20 pounds of bacon. And literally, that, the, the, day be- the day before, that's God's divine intervention. Well, how do, how do you make it to the right side of the camp? Well, Jesus gives the answer. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Let's break that down a little bit. If this is the key to divine intervention, then then let's take a closer look at what Christ means by this list of accomplishments. Just a little step. First off, hungry means pineo. It literally means to be starved. It denotes someone who's starving for something such as knowledge or truth. Perhaps th- those in desperate need of Christ. Those you run into and need you to tell them about a God who loved them enough to die for them. Or those in desperate need of encouragement. Jesus said, I was there and you fed me. What about thirsty? Dis- dipseo, to 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 be dry, it can mean to thirst for something in a, in a figurative sense. Somebody who has a, who's in desperate need of a blessing. Somebody who needs you to give them something that they can't get for yourself. I, I remember this, this lady coming, this lady from Evansville driving, you know, an hour and 45 minutes to come to her house. She's a single mom with two kids. And on the way over, her, her car overheated. It broke down. And, and my son-in-law, Donald, spent that whole time the kids were playing, goes to the parts store, pays out the parts out of his own money and fixes this car for this lady, spends three hours fixing her car for her. Why? Because she was thirsty. She didn't have money, but she had a great need. That's what sheep do. I was a stranger, not one of the family, someone in, in, in desperate need of fellowship. 
I remember going to the movie theater years ago, uh, Tinseltown. I don't even know if it's called that anymore. But I remember going there and seeing this young guy from, from Southeast. And I thought, well, I'm so glad because he's an odd character, but I'm so glad he's with this group of people. And then I realized that group of people moved and he was still standing there by himself. And then he went and stood by next, another group of people and he'd smile and nod and then they would move on. And I realized he just wanted to feel like he was with people, but he wasn't. I mean, he was, he was, he was desperately all alone and he needed somebody to go to the movies with him. Naked at seeing that homeless guy at Starbucks and getting him a $25 gift certificate counter so he can get coffee or get a sandwich. I, I, I don't have time to go into what all those words mean, but that's what sheep do. Sheep look for opportunities and needs, and then they look for ways to meet those needs. And what's so cool about this is the sheep, they didn't even know how they got there. They didn't see Jesus on the side of the road, broken down, help fix his car, give his repair bill, give him a $100 gift certificate, visit him in the hospital. They didn't do any of that. They didn't even invite him to the movies, and they were blown away. Matthew 25, 37, the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. If I'm on the right-hand side, I'm, I'm here. I don't, I don't know how I got here. I don't care. But these people are like, what, what? we didn't do that. When did we see you a stranger or invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick? or in prison and go visit you. They never saw Jesus in need or reached out to meet his needs. They never saw that. But they did see a lot of other people in needs and they did all they could to meet those needs. And Christ counted that as if they had done it for him personally. Matthew 25, 40, he said, and the king will say, I'll tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. Man, the sheep did community well. They leveraged what they had for the good of others. That wasn't true. That's not true of all of us, is it? I, I, I'm sure there's times we all find ourselves in one of the camps, but let's take a really quick look at the other side, the sheep. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away from me, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. There's no divine intervention here. There's no mention of being blessed by God, no reaching down in their daily lives to bring about a better income. And Jesus goes into the same list. Man, I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was in prison. I was naked. You didn't visit me. Just like the sheep, they find themselves shocked by being put in this camp. Matthew 25, verse 44. Then they reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and not help you? Jesus, what are you talking about? We would have fed you. We would have gladly gotten you a Starbucks or visited you when you were sick. Jesus, if we'd ever seen you in need, we would have met that need. Matthew 25, 45, and he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Isn't that crazy in the end when it's all said and done? God won't be interested in our excuses, why we didn't give more, love more, share more, forgive more, care more. He will only be interested in how well we did community. How well we leveraged what we had for the good of the world around us. How many people's cars we fixed. How many people we helped feed. How many ways we came up with sharing Christ how we encouraged, how we loved, how we gave people a sense of peace when they were in our presence, how we looked just like Jesus to the world around us. 
I want to encourage you today when you go home and sit down with those in your household or if it's just you, I want to encourage you to take out a sheet of paper or open up a document on your computer or do it on your phone. However you need to do it, I want to encourage you to make a comprehensive list. How, how, maybe read through Matthew, okay, naked, hungry, thirsty, in great need. These are all emotional, physical, spiritual needs. I want you to make a list of here of all the things that God has given me, given me, and how can I begin to take all of these things that I have and leverage it to the world around us? How can I love everybody else around me, my neighbor like myself? How can I love everybody the way I love God? Now, I want to encourage you, and I'll leave you with this. I'm, 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 I've got 11 seconds, so I'm out. I want to ask you to just, if, if you're here today and you don't understand this whole God thing, there is a God who absolutely loves and adores you. He does not, I can't even fathom this, but he doesn't want to be in eternity without you. He doesn't know what I do. Yeah, he knows everything you do. He knows your thoughts from afar. But he still loves you. He loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross to pay for your sins. And all you can do is receive that. All you can do is say, Lord, I'm so sorry for the things I've done, but the best I know, I believe you love me. Because I want to tell you, he died on that cross to pay for everything you'd ever done wrong. And he, he wants, he, 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 he literally leveraged all that he had for you and me. Father, we love you and worship you and praise you. What a great God. What a king, what a savior, what a friend, what a, what a, you're just there for us. You just leverage everything that you have. And I pray for everybody here that you would just reach down into their daily lives and just supernaturally bless them, God. And I pray, Father, that every one of us would give you just cause to do that. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Will you stand and sing with us?